This is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. This is Linux in Laws, Season 1, Episode 74, The One About Gimp. Martin, how are things? Things are fine and dandy, thank you. Thank you. How are you? I can't complain. Melting. <laughs> are you? All oh, right. Yeah. yeah, it's only about 40, sorry, no, it's it's actually 35 degrees here in downtown Frankfurt. We're recording this somewhere in December of 2022. <laughs> Global warming has really gotten the better of Germany. And I don't know if it, how it is in the kingdom. It's obviously very localized, this global warming. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, Martin, indeed. <laughs> so, anything to add on the weather front for, for the UK? I mean, I reckon summer has come and gone. It's it's temporarily suspended again, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, for the next nine months, maybe? <laughs> well, the um, since most of the, the plants are dying and the farms are complaining, there's, there's going to be some rain soon, which is very appreciated by many living things so yeah as can't complain, the can't complain about the change of weather yeah. <laughs> as in within the next 10 months or something maybe no, right, well, you see, tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. tomorrow as early as that okay no jokes are we're recording this somewhere in august and I, people if you're picking this up in hindsight i hope you didn't hold your breath on the rain because it may or may not, it may or may not have happened Uh, things certainly have changed because normally summer was penciled in on the 13th of August. If if Matt office <laughs> predictions are anything to go by between 1 and 2 p.m. in a decent year in something formerly known as the United Kingdom. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Martin, no, 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 I I, I don't, I'm not aware of any name changes, but then okay. I, I don't I mean, read the paper. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I mean, you have you have yeah. lived there way longer than I have, so <laughs> you, you. I mean, you're always a local, if that's you, anything I, to I, hadn't, I know. I didn't realize you've moved, but there we go. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm anyway, about the UK now. Sorry, but yeah. this is not the weather no, podcast. No, it's not not, not the weather podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but rather something called Linux in laws. And without further ado, we would like to welcome Kevin, also known and as Ahuka. On something called Hacker Public Radio, but Kevin, without further ado, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, thank you very much. Uh, my given name is Kevin O'Brien, and uh, I adopted the pseudonym of a hookah on Hacker Public Radio. And I suppose if I had it to do over again, I might have said, oh, screw it, and just used my own name. But, you know, it is what it is at this point. So, Why did you uh, choose a hookah? Or? Um, why a hookah as opposed to something else? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's an, uh, possibly an interesting story. I'll let you decide. 
Um, I was on a Jefferson Airplane fans mailing list. Jefferson Airplane. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it goes back a ways. Oh, so uh, yeah. <laughs> we were, uh, well, I, you know, I'm 71. For, 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 for so, the younger uh, listeners amongst us, this is a band. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think it used to be a band, right? Because I don't think they're long, no longer they're not, uh, yeah, they're, they're no longer they're not, They're not in existence anymore. Um, so on this mailing list, we were talking about a Japanese version of their classic album, Surrealistic Pillow. And they had printed lyrics, but they weren't the right lyrics exactly. Um, so there is a line in a song called White Rabbit. And White Rabbit is based on um, Alice in Wonderland. Lewis and <laughs> Lewis Carroll's Alice yeah. in Wonderland. Nice. And the the line says, "Tell them a hookah smoking caterpillar has given you the call." It makes sense after all. Yes. Well, the Japanese transliteration of all of that came out. Tell them. A hookah, the swooping caterpillar, has given you the call. And on the mailing list, this was hilariously funny and resulted in an ongoing running joke. The great god of hookah and all of that kind of stuff. So when I joined Hacker Public Radio, at the time, it seemed like everyone used pseudonyms. So I thought, well, I'll use a hookah as a pseudonym, and then it just kind of stuck. Uh, Kevin, uh, thanks for the for, thanks for the explanation here. The reason why we decided to invite you on the show is quite straightforward. Given the given your comprehensive list of episodes on GIMP, we always went. By the way, we always wanted to do an episode on GIMP because it's one of the most important well mm-hmm. open source projects in the graphical tool area i reckon uh regarding right. open source uh but rather than reaching out to the project we want to have a user's perspective on things right so without further ado give us your kind of two cents given the fact that you have done multiple episodes and we all appreciate the fact that we are all learners right never mind how long we use the software because, for example, I've been using Inkscape, which is a scalable vector graphics editor for the last at least 10 or 15 years. And I'm simply discovering new features anytime I use it. Same goes for again, sure. just to say. Maybe now is the time for you kind of to mm-hmm. kind of shed, just, shed some light on how you arrived at GIMP, why you still use the software, and what you think mm-hmm. is a good and bad right. uh, topics about this software. Well... Okay, little background. Um, I was once a college professor, and no doubt I will pay for my sins on that. But um, <laughs> one of the things that I learned in the course of doing that is that the best way to learn any subject is to have to teach it. It forces you to really dig into things and you start developing the art of um, saying 
you know, what kind of questions would someone have at this point? And can I address that right now? So that's part of my background. Now, when it comes to GIMP, what motivated it was photos that I have. Um, I, you know, I'm 71 years old. I got photos over many decades at this point. Um, and the ones that I've taken recently are smartphone and they're fine. I don't really need to do a whole lot with any of those. But when my wife and I uh, first met, um, we were shooting slides on film. Um, and we wound up with boxes of slide trays and you know, they just sat in a closet somewhere. And I thought, you know, I really need to do something with this and I should digitize. And I started doing that. And I talked about that in my GIMP series that, you know, the process I went through of digitizing. And with the old stuff, the, the photos were just not good. Um, there were lots of problems with them. Uh, artifacts on the images, uh, colors had gone screwy. You, you mean the original photographs? Right. Yeah. Well, right, right. Whatever I had at that point, which was either a slide or, slides, or yeah. a negative or what have you, um, they they just weren't in good shape. And I thought, you know, I got to be able to do something to fix them up. Um, and that's what led me to GIMP because GIMP is more than anything, a photo editing program. That's really what it's made to do. Yeah, you can get it to do other stuff. Um, you know, if you want, you can create logos in it. Although if you have Inkscape, I don't know why you would, but, you know. Um, but for editing photos, I think it's a, uh, it is the best open source program that I'm aware of for doing that. Not sure if you followed the history of GIMP, but GIMP is ancient. If any commit history is anything to go by, but it sort of also had some serious impact. I'm tempted to say on general um, graphical user interface development. Uh, perhaps for those two listeners in the old audience that do not know the history, maybe we can kind of shed some more light onto this, Kevin? Well, to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about the history of GIMP. When did you start using it, sir? Do you remember the kind of year or how long ago? I used it once or twice um, 10 years ago, um, but it didn't stick. Um, and that okay. was because GIMP was doing things in a different way and you know how it is when you get into a piece of software and it, your intuition says it should do this and it does something different. <laughs> uh, well, that was, that was what was happening to me. Um, so when I came back to it, um, I did what I could have done the first time and didn't bother to. And that is to say, let's get into this systematically, take it a step at a time, figure out how they're doing things. And the thing with software that at least this is how I think of it in my mind is that 
too often when someone tries to tell you how to use a piece of software, they tell you, well, if you want to do this, you click here. If you want to do that, you click over here. Uh, and I think that's like the worst possible way to teach people about software. Okay. Um, and, you know, if if you go back and look at my LibreOffice series, you know, a lot of what I did was to say, you know, don't worry about that right away. Let's start with what should you be doing with this software? How should you be thinking about it? Um, and, you know, as I dug into GIMP with that mindset of, I, I got to figure out how this, how you think about this kind of stuff. Um, and the more I dug into it, the more I realized it's all mathematics. Um, everything you do is based on mathematical algorithms. And you can figure out what those algorithms are in some cases. Sometimes the documentation will even tell you what the algorithms are. Um, but you know, that was what finally got me going with it was, oh, okay, math I'm comfortable with. Um, you know, I'm not really an artist. Uh, my wife is an artist. <laughs> so, you know, she's, she's got all the artistic talent in this family, but I'm good with math. So. What was, it you, to, what was it you used to teach? Um, economics. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Not, okay. Which is not yeah. too far off when yeah. it comes down to math. But swinging back slightly to, to, to the GIMP now, um, Kevin, mm -hmm. just for, for the two people in the audience who do not know a little bit of the history about GIMP, I've been using GIMP for the last almost 20 years. And you can read, I mean, you've, you've had the link in the show notes, but GIMP was somewhat influential. And I'm going to keep the short and sweet uh, because this is not a history podcast, but rather a podcast about user perspective and some other things. When GIMP was first devised, the idea was to create a cross-platform graphical tool for the editing, for the purpose of editing images. Needless right. to say, cross-platform means OS X meant Windows at the time and also Linux distributions for want of a better expression because we're talking about late 90s now. Thing yeah. is that you needed some extraction layer from the actual operating system because at the time Linux ran something called X Windows. Windows was Windows mm -hmm. and OS X ran its own proprietary window manager. Right. So what the team actually did, they created something called GTK. No, GTK. GTK. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Yeah. Good day. GTK. Yeah, <laughs> we go with the, we go with the one, one, one. Why yeah. don't you tell, tell people what the abbreviation stands for? Might be easier. Gra yes, Gra um, um, GIMP toolkit, I think it's called, or something else, mm -hmm. or graphical toolkit. G T G. It's been a long day. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Martin said <it> once again. <laughs> GTK. Thank you. The idea was to create an abstraction layer from the actual operating system. And when a number of other people first had this idea of doing something called a graphical desktop, which later developed into something called GNOME, they actually used GTK mm -hmm. as the abstraction layer from the actual operating system, which First and foremost was destined at Linux, but if you take a look at 
the number of GNOME-based applications available on other operating systems, including Windows and OS X, need to say, the stuff you can start with Homebrew and all the rest of it, I think the proof is actually in point that GTK made the day in terms of abstracting away the original operating system functionality and put this onto a high level of, of abstraction. And that's exactly what you see in the modern um, software architecture if you take a look at any GNOME application. And it all goes back to something called GIMP at the end of the day. Well, I probably missed a lot of that because I don't use GNOME. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm 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 firmly in the KDE camp. No, which is oh, I mean it's it's this is what this is what free software free software is all about. <laughs> it's all about choice, yeah. right? But if you take a look at the platforms that GIMP is available on, it's Linux, mm-hmm. Mac OS, is Windows, is FreeBSD or StarBSD, as it's also available on OpenBSD and NetBSD, on yeah. Solaris, and also on Amiga OS. <laughs> So cross plot, so cross platform checkbox ticked, right? Never mind the influence it had on other development efforts, including GNOME and, and and the other stuff. So, but this is not it. But so much for the historical rant. Back to the issue at hand. What would you consider the most important or? visible, let's put it this way, shortcomings if you're talking GIMP? Um, Right now, the biggest one is that it does not properly support print. Define print. Um, Well, you know, if you're going to prepare something for high quality color printing, you really need to have a good CMYK uh, model built into it, which GIMP doesn't really have. It doesn't have the the print production aspect, hmm. which is one of the reasons why my wife, for instance, who has to deal with this, well, doesn't have to deal with it much now because we're retired. But when she did have to deal with it, <coughs> you know, I could tell her how wonderful GIMP was and she would say, yeah, can't use it. I've got to use Photoshop because I got to be able to send this off to the printer and have a reliable, uh, you know, have it print the way I designed it. And how long was that ago? In well, terms we've of... been retired for a couple of years. So, because if if the change logs are anything to go by, GIMP had made, has made some strides in that in particular that area, as in oh. pre-production raster image processing kind of front end support. Yeah, well, I, I, I they're making progress in a number of areas, but you you asked me what is the main thing I see missing, and you know, absolutely right now, right now. Um, the people who do this for a living are, by and large, not going to be using GIMP if they're mm-hmm. interested in print production. Um, I, I think GIMP was initially oriented much more towards the web. Um, and so the focus really was on producing images for computer screens. And it does a great job of that. 
you know. What would you see, or what would you consider the most prevalent advantages of GIMP, apart from probably the cross-platform aspects? Well, I, I love that it's cross-platform. Um, you know, there, there are certain advantages that gives you. Uh, you know, I ran into something, um, you know, back to, to talking about photography, uh, if you're familiar with uh, raw images. Um, yes. Yeah, so, you know, working with raw images, um, there are ways you're supposed to, you know, the, the documentation says something should work, and then in reality, it doesn't. So, um, you know, raw images, you should be able to, <coughs> excuse me, you should be able to uh, begin editing them within GIMP, and then GIMP is supposed to call an external program that will actually deal with the raw image parts and then have the image come back into GIMP after that's done. Hmm. And um, in Linux, I just ran into problems getting it working. Okay. Uh, so I went into Windows and it worked fine. <laughs> Which is an interesting perspective because when I started to use GIMP, as I said, almost 20 years ago, you only had Scheme. That was the scripting mm -hmm. language of choice. And I think Python support was brought into, what, seven, six years ago? I can't even remember. But what I always loved about GIMP was actually the, the possibility to extend this through plugins. So, right. for example, I was preparing a number of images for a website. Details may or may not be in the show notes, depending. But I was looking for a an approach or a solution to emboss images with a certain copyright notice. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly when I came across the scripting possibilities of GIMP. Because at the time, it was only a few lines in Scheme as in the, the, the Lisp interpreter built into GIMP that made this possible. And I thought, wow, that, that's a great thing because you don't have to do these far from images manually. You can push them into GIMP. You do this scripting framework, do the rest. And then mm -hmm. you have these images embossed as you see fit. Have you have ever, ever used was, scripting? No, no, can't say that I have. Okay. I mean, I, I may get into it at some point, but... So far, scripting, uh, it's not something I need to know for what I want to do. Everybody, every user is different, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I dig into things because I have, a you know, it's a niche that I have to scratch. Um, and, you know, right now I'm approaching the, the photos that I'm working on. Um, one at a time, because the problems in each photo, you know, are different. So it, it's it's not Absolutely. something that lends itself to scripting. What what sort of um, uh, fixes are you doing to your photos? Well, uh, there can be a number of things depending on, you know, first of all, with a lot of the old um, slides and um, negatives that I work from, uh, I, I need to do some cropping. Okay. But, you know, but you have to crop each photo 
um, individually. So that's one of the things I'm going to do. Uh, you get these things where it's like white borders all the way around the photo. And sometimes you see a little bit, uh, if you're working from a negative, you'll see a little bit of an adjacent photo showing up on the side and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, some of them, um, there was a physical, uh, you know, a scratch on the film or something that turns into an artifact on the photo. Um, I've got somewhere that the, the color balance was, it just, something happened over time. Um, and I've got some photos from my wife's, uh, she did a trip years ago. It was before we met, um, with some friends and the photos from that are all green. Um, okay. <laughs> some, something, something happened to the color balance there. Yeah. Um, you know, other photos, it may be that uh, the uh, exposure wasn't quite right. So it's either over or underexposed. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, these are all things you can correct uh, in GIMP. And that, that's really what my motivation was, was that I could get in there and do stuff like that. Yeah, that no, makes sense. Makes sense. And, and did it, I mean... How much effort did it take you to get to grips with all that stuff with GIMP just to give those people who haven't used GIMP some idea? Yeah. Right? It's, well, it's... you know, I, I probably went a little bit beyond <laughs> okay. quickly what I needed uh, because, you know, once I started doing the, the, the series on GIMP, it mm. was like, well, you know, I need to at least cover the basics of these things uh, for it to be useful to other people who are listening to the series. So, you know, I started digging into, you know, how layers work uh, and um, how they interact with each other and, and stuff like that. But they're also because you need to use those techniques to fix a lot of these things. Um, you know, if, if you're going to uh, fix a photo where maybe one part is a little underexposed, another part looks okay... Uh, right. You know, you might want to put in a layer mask so that, you know, you're only affecting the part of the photo that you need yeah. to change and not affecting the other part. So you, you need all of these techniques in your toolkit um, before you go in to uh, fix a photo. Okay, got it, got it. I mean, it, it kind of begs the, the, the question, Dan. Did you start out with GIMP, or did you try any other uh, photo editing software to start with? Um, no, I, I, I started with GIMP, um, and one of the reasons is that it's free software. Mm, yeah. um, and when I say free, I don't mean free of charge, although I didn't have to buy the software, but I am making monthly donations to support development. Um, mm -hmm. that's, I, I always believe you should support people who are producing the software, uh, that you use. So there's, uh, there's something that, uh, something called, it's a, a, a language giggle, um, and there's developers working on it and it, it's probably over my head entirely. Um, but it was something that I thought I could support 
you know, and it's, I, I, I'm not talking a lot. I'm talking, you know, a buck or two a month, you know, going to a developer here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but these, these things keep the, uh, the, the projects going, right? It's, it's a very important point that you raised. I, yeah, uh, I always yeah. try to do that, um, you know, with, with LibreOffice, for instance, uh, you know, every, every, you know, couple of times a year when I download uh, upgrades, um, I'll take a moment to, you know, donate 10 bucks to the LibreOffice, you know. Nice, nice. So, so I take I take it you're a long-standing, uh, let's say, Linux user then, rather than any other uh, proprietary well, operating uh, systems. Um, I have one Windows because uh-huh. <laughs> um, I I do enjoy gaming, and right now right. there are games yeah. that I like to play that I cannot play on Linux reliably at this point. That's you know, fair. Yeah. yeah, that may change. Um, I also have one Chromebox. Uh, well, it's a Chromebook. Whether you call that uh, open source, I'll leave to you. Inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I know there's Linux at the base of it, um, but you know, mostly it's just because it was inexpensive, very lightweight, and and it's good for uh, like when I'm traveling, mm. I can just take it with me. Um, one of the things that uh, I like to do when I travel is to keep a, a diary every day um, so that I know, yeah. uh, I can recall what we did, where we were, what we saw, that kind of stuff. You mentioned Windows, and when you moved some of the of the GIMP stuff from, from mm-hmm. Windows to Windows, did you encounter anything else that, the reason why I mentioned this quite straightforward: if something on Windows, uh, if something on Linux didn't work, rather, and then you moved it to Windows, there must be a reason for that. But did you encounter anything vice versa in terms of something that didn't work with GIMP on Windows, and then you moved when you moved it to Linux, it did work out of the box? Well, um, I I haven't, but the reason for that is that uh, most of the time, uh, I mean, th- that Windows machine, I have it. I use it for a few things, but, you know, I live in my Linux machine. Okay. So, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't just say, oh, I'm going to work in GIMP today. I'll open up my Windows machine and go there. I, I, it just, that wouldn't occur to me. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's, you, you mentioned gaming, right? So, to me, that suggests that your Windows PC has a more advanced graphics card, or has a fairly advanced graphics card, so it may yeah, potentially yeah. more naturally be more suitable for something like a like a game pro. Um, well, but... um, it, it's it, it certainly is is sufficient to run GIMP. Um, I mean, I've got a good graphics card in my Linux machine too. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, and. I, you know, if it gets to the point that I can run all the games I want to run on the Linux machine, you know, I can probably lose the Windows box. Have you ever tried wine? Yes. Um, <laughs> not not the liquid, presumably. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking about the Windows emulation there yeah, on Oregon Linux. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> My thing's um, <laughs> <Yeah>, just... just... <laughs> 
Just clarifying. <laughs> I, I have. It it hasn't always worked well enough for me. Um, I mean, we are explicit, so I can say that Wiley <laughs> used to be a bitch because you had to have the exact version of the exact DLL you you needed actually to get a win to get a Windows button up and running. Apparently links may or not be may or may not be in the show notes. Things have changed a little bit. There's a website called One Headquarters where you can actually search for a DLL and or an Ornic executable and then mm-hmm. it points you to the right DLLs. But if if current law is anything to go by, it's still not as simple, especially for games to set them up. So that they can so that they can run under Wine in a full blown right. Linux environment. At least that's my perspective from the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and since I have the Windows box here, I haven't really been highly motivated to dig into some other way of doing it. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So you know, my my bias is towards using free software, but um, you know, obvi- obviously, I'm not a fanatic about it. Um, no, it's just, just the fact is that um, the, the gaming world is very much still Windows oriented, right? So yeah, you, you don't have much choice <laughs> if you want to run. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, things like Wine just aren't performant enough. And before um, I retired, yeah. I had to use Windows at work. Everywhere, uh, it's 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 quite well established in the corporate world, as, you know, yeah. as we all know. But yeah. and, so I hear anyway. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's well, I guess, guess, I... guess in in the hipster land that you live in, uh, Chris, it's yeah. <laughs> mainly Macs. Uh, uh, mostly, yeah, so, and of course Linux. <laughs> Sorry, but Kevin. hey, I, what do I care about the corporate world, Martin? Anyway, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm only uh, it's also uh, my wife also runs Windows and I'm her tech support. So uh-huh. my commiserations. Uh, yes, <laughs> sounds like fun. <laughs> um, go, going back to GIMP, sorry. Um, if if you were to wanted to st- anybody who hasn't used GIMP before, right? What what would you say is a good way to start learning it apart from using your podcast? Of course, <laughs> but, uh, um, it sounds like well, you've 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 really started doing it all yourself and, and taking it apart and, and trying to work out how sure. everything works. But, uh... Uh, well, you know, obviously, aside from listening to my podcast. <laughs> um, how many I podcasts do... have you done again? Sorry. Um, do, you, do, you, do you have a count? <laughs> do you have a stop, stop counting? I know, 25, 30. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Very good. Things um, definitely will be in show notes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, the way my, the workflow that I have when I do these shows um, is that I first uh, write what I'm going to talk about. Uh, okay. So I do it in written form as like an essay yeah. on a topic. And those essays go on my website. So I have a website um, and it's called ahuka.com. And there's a whole section of GIMP, and you can see all of the. Um, I think there's probably close to thirty, but um, you know, so you you can just read through them, and that also right. gives right. you uh, 
uh, images. That's a, it's the, the weird thing about doing a podcast about a, a, um, graphics. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> you be, you yeah. can't see anything. Um, and yet people seem to like it. So, you know, what the heck, um, then there are, um, and I refer to them along the way. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's a lot of resources available. Um, I think one of the best um, is YouTube. Um, there are a few people. Um, uh, Mike Davies uh, comes to mind as one of them, and Chris Parker is another one, and that uh, have done a ton of tutorials um, on YouTube. And so there you're going to get the visual aspect. You can actually see their screen and what they're clicking on and what they're doing. Um, and I find those very helpful. Um, if you take a look at um, either the show notes for the shows that I've done or go to my website, um, I put in links to all of these things. So Anything that I've used in the course of preparing my right. shows, I link to it. So you're gonna Excellent. you're gonna be able to uh, follow back to the, the where I got. So I like the way I look at it. As I said, I, I'm not the expert. I'm a student. Um, but what I'm good at is finding who the experts are and learning from them. That's what well, I and, and clearly, you're very good at explaining it on a, <laughs> doing Gimpo on a podcast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any final thoughts on Gimp before we wrap this up, Kevin? Um, I I think Gimp is fantastic. Um, I'd encourage people to get into it, but you know, understand that, uh, like, if you're if you your previous experience was Photoshop, um, which interestingly was developed right where I live. Uh, um, you know, GIMP is, is a little different. doesn't do things exactly the same way. So best way to do it is just drop any preconceptions and approach the software in its own terms. You know, what are they trying to do? How are they trying to do it? And then I think you find it, it is really extremely capable software. You know, you put me on the spot to say, you know, name one thing it doesn't do well. And I, I named <laughs> what I thought was the biggest. Which is fine. But even that they're working no on. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, what I see is a project that is in vigorous development, um, you know, we're w waiting now for the 3.0 release, and I know they're working on it, and it's just a question of when are they going to decide it's ready to be released to the public. And that, that could be tomorrow or it could be in January. I don't know. Um, but I think that's going to make some fantastic strides, and it's going to address some of the problems that uh, that maybe people have had. Almost similar to Debian, where they release a new stable version when it's ready. 
Yeah, I reckon. I reckon that's the wrong approach. Exactly. In contrast to the to the studies approach of canonical, we do it every yeah. half year. They yeah. just say ready or not. Yeah, that's ready. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> canonical. If you're listening, every five years. <laughs> yeah. The canonical. If you are Mark Shuttleworth, if you're listening, if you're listening, the email address is sponsor you <laughs> Simply send a mail. <laughs> Yeah, we can change the wording if you want to, uh, based on the amount that you donate. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay, Kevin, I don't know if you've listened to uh, one of the previous in-law shows, but we normally do something called the poxies at the very end of the shows, mm-hmm. which is essentially a pick of the week, something that has crossed your mind during the last two weeks or something that you see worth mentioning. Martin normally goes for inside scandals on the government of the kingdom. <laughs> I normally go for movies or the other way around. I can't even remember, but it really anything goes. Books, movies, whatever. Or, actually, as a matter of fact, I also mentioned recipes on previous shows, depending. Okay. Well, So, off you go, Kevin. Um, I like games, and the games that I like are strategy games what are called the 4x um if you're familiar with that uh explore expand exploit exterminate (laughs) excellent (laughs) makes sense to me (laughs) yeah um and in fact uh i'm working on a series for that because you know i ken is always looking for shows and I kind of mentioned offhand on uh, Mastodon, where a number of us are have accounts there, that uh, you know maybe I could do something about games. And a number of people said, "Yeah, we'd love to have you do something on games." So I've actually started working on that. In the course of which, I rediscovered an old game that turns out is absolutely fantastic. So it, it's not anything new. Um, in fact, it goes back to about 2000, and it's a game <laughs> called Alpha Centauri. Um, okay. Wow. And uh, um, so it, it's part of the Civilization franchise. If you've heard of Civilization, right. yes, of course. Yeah. Um, so this this was uh, one of the games they did back in 2000, and I got into it. Um, after having not looked at it in probably 15 or 16 years, um, I started playing it while we were on our RV trip out West and just fell in love with it all over again. It's a fantastic game. So that's what I'm going to mention. Okay. Martin, any thoughts on this? Cause since you're the, since you're the game player um, of the two of us. Alpha Centauri, wow, that's a long time ago. Um, okay, I, can't, I, can't, I can't say I ever played that one, but um, okay. yeah. Uh, I think the, um, yeah, the, the, thing about, I, the thing about about games for me is really the complexity of them these days before you get any good at them, let's put it that way. <laughs> they used to be really simple, right? Just, just shoot some aliens yeah. coming out of the sky and <laughs> off you go, right? <laughs> but nowadays there's so many complications and, and 
things that you need to know to be well to beat all the the twelve year olds, right? <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> excellent, yeah. excellent, excellent. Making progress now, Mark, aren't we? <laughs> so basically, stick stick to one game if <laughs> at least you got a chance. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, it'll only take you about twenty years or something. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Martin. So, what's your pox then? My pox. Um, I'm currently uh, binge watching Deep State, which is a um, what do you call what do you call it? I don't know. I guess a uh, conspiracy theory. I thought it was one of these documentaries. Type. <laughs> well, yeah, it's probably it's, it's it's you could call it a documentary, but not, yeah. yeah, I see. Uh, Donald, yeah. if you're listening, the email is on that list. Okay, this is this I'm is pre Donald's time, right? This is um, okay, what's his name? Uh, oh, what was his first name? Bush. Um, George. George. Thank you. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Anyway, that, that kind of era, right? Anyway. Okay. Deep state. Interesting. So it stopped. I mean, it didn't stop with George, did it? I mean, deep state right, goes back when to kind of the founders or something. It's been and going I, on for 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 probably since the Middle Ages, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and, and when I mean the founders, I don't I, I don't mean Teal and Musk and, and all the rest of them that founded PayPal. No, I'm talking about the founders of the US, what 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 is now known as the US. People links to the relevant conspiracy <laughs> theory websites may or may not be in the show notes. You never know. Um, okay, my pox of the week is actually something much more <laughs> safe, let's put it this way, in terms of not being on kind of on controversial grounds. It's a it's a TV you series. Feeling, you're feeling all right there, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> but thank you for reminding me, Martin. No, it's Sorry, something yeah, actually yeah. that is close to Martin's home, which is actually Sky Arts. It's a TV show called Urban Myths. I think it dates back to the 2016s, 2017s, maybe 2019s. It has a beautiful take on something called Urban Legends, funny enough. And the episode not to be missed out on is actually season three, episode one, where a guy called Freddie Mercury and a friend take a little-known lady called Diana Spencer to a gay nightclub. I won't reveal any further spoilers, but it's actually an episode not to be missed. It's probably one of the best ones of that, of that whole, of that whole, of that whole show. And with that, Kevin, thank you very much for attending. Yeah, well, being part of it. That has been more than that has been more than interesting, mm-hmm. especially your views, your users' perspective. Because we normally have projects, and need to say the projects being projects have a certain view on things. But it would, but it was actually a very refreshing change to get a users' perspective on the show yeah. in terms of a first-hand. Mm-hmm insight from somebody not coding the code base but rather something using the somebody using the code base well thank you i i I think that is important um software is too important to be left to the coders i couldn't agree more (laughs) (laughs) yes they are breed of their own (laughs) this is the reason why we still use computers martin right (laughs) Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, And with that, people, thank you for listening and see you next time. This is the Linux In-Laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay 
for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salad Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts.